Our final scripture reading on this Pentecost Sunday comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, beginning with the first verse, and even though the bulletin says we'll continue through the 21st, we're only going to go through verse 12 today. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at the sound the crowd was gathered and was bewildered, because each one of them heard speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, all of us in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And all of them were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, it was early on a Wednesday morning along Fifth Avenue. I was walking my dog, Annie, at an unusually leisurely pace for us. There were just a few people out and about. It was as quiet as Fifth Avenue ever gets, I think. We wandered by the Met where ground staff were spraying down the steps and a couple of merchants were setting up shop, preparing for another day of selling art along the sidewalk. It was peaceful and so I let my mind wander a bit until out of nowhere, Annie and I were dive bombed by a pigeon. It came from out of the air behind us and headed directly for the ground, missing my head and then Annie's by what felt like only a few inches. It startled me. Actually, if I am being honest, it scared me to death. I think it took about five years off my life. And one of the artists who was trying very hard not to laugh at me, they were failing, but they were trying, he said, whoa boy, that bird just about got you. You better watch out. Watch out indeed. The very first story in the Bible includes birds. In Genesis 1, God says, let birds fly in the sky and let the birds multiply. But even before God creates birds, the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the deep and ancient rabbis suggest the spirit hovers like a bird. The Talmud even specifies what kind of a bird. It says the spirit hovers like a dove. Not a pterodactyl, 
not a humongous, forbidding bird, but a gentle, quiet, friendly, dignified sort of bird. The same kind of bird that we imagine when Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon him, scripture tells us explicitly, like a dove. It is for this reason that doves are the most common symbol we use to depict the Holy Spirit. Like I shared with the children just a few moments ago, the Spirit isn't visible to us the same way Jesus was. So we reach for images and metaphors, and more often than not, when it comes to the Spirit, they show up with feathers. There was a rush of violent wind, scripture tells us, about the day of Pentecost. It invokes the same language as creation. The same spirit that hovered over the waters now rushes over the people. In John's gospel, as Kathy read, Jesus assures his disciples that they will never be left alone. He tells them that the spirit will be with them always. It's supposed to be a comforting moment. But what if I told you that a dove, our comforting symbol of the spirit, is actually a pigeon by another name? Biblical scholar and theologian Debbie Blue, she has written about this extensively. I promise I'm not making it up. She says, there are a great variety of birds that English speakers call either pigeons or doves. They are all in the same family. We tend to call the more delicate, smaller members of the family doves and the larger, more aggressive members of the family pigeons but the names are, in fact, entirely interchangeable. Truth be told, I think the spirit descending on all the people the day of Pentecost was probably not all that different from my pigeon experience on Fifth Avenue. You see, that's the thing about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit of God comforts us like nothing else can. And sometimes the Spirit of God terrifies us like nothing else can. If there is one thing we can say definitively about the Holy Spirit, it is that she re resists absolute categorization and refuses to play by any rules. My friend and colleague Tom R., who is a preacher and pastor of the highest order, he taught me something about Pentecost a few years ago that I've never been able to forget. This story is filled with that incredible list of people, people from Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya. The people come from everywhere. But here's what Tom taught me. The people on that day, they don't just come from every place. They come from every time, too. You see, Luke says there were Medes there that day. That would be a pretty good trick. It would be like going to our latest pastoral staff letter and seeing that next week, Christina Cosby will lead a Bible study on the prophet Isaiah. 
Beverly Bartlett will coordinate Kids on the Roof. Kent Cherigundla has a new exhibit opening at the Asian Society. Julian Schroeder is inviting all of you to a fellowship gathering. Rebecca Heilman is leading a session about the overnight shelter. And Thomas Jefferson will be giving a presentation on religious liberty. If you read all of that, you'd assume we got a few things wrong. Luke says there were Medes there on that day of Pentecost, but that people had vanished from the pages of human history hundreds of years before. So some have argued that Luke got sloppy, that he got his information wrong. But what Tom taught me is this, that Luke knows exactly what he is doing and what he is saying. Luke is telling us not what is factual. Luke is telling us what is true about that day. And the truth is that the church, the community gathered by the Spirit of God, includes not only people from every place, it includes people from every time. God's redemptive work in the world includes everyone, absolutely everyone. And it will not be thwarted by anything, not even the realities of our own human history and everything we know to be true. In other words, Luke tells us that whatever we think we know, the Spirit always knows more, and the Spirit always knows better. Sometimes that reassures us, and it comforts us, and sometimes that absolutely terrifies us, as it should. My friend Taylor is the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Statesboro, Georgia. She's been there about six months, so just recently she read through the minutes of the church's first session meeting back in 1896. And the purpose of that meeting, the minutes told her, was to provide a written report to the presbytery. Per instruction, this report was to include the names of those in attendance at the meeting, a general report on worship attendance, an assessment of the efficacy of the church's biblical instruction, an assessment of members' observance of the Sabbath, and the number of times the church witnessed a special outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Now, according to the minutes, worship attendance at First Presbyterian Church was good. Biblical instruction was good, Sabbath keeping was very good, and outpourings of the Holy Ghost was listed as none. 100 years later, in the 1990s, a member of the church decided to write a history of the congregation, and she did some research. She found that as long as that question had been asked of the congregation, the answer was almost always none. I asked myself, she said, could this really be true? How was the session interpreting the Holy Spirit? Had we really been devoid of the Spirit's movement all those years? It took almost a full century 
before it was officially set right, before a record of that church reflected that the spirit actually had a long history of being at work there. A sermon was preached and session minutes reflected that the question of outpourings of the Holy Ghost should have been answered always in the affirmative. The answer of none, the church's history book went on to report, can only be understood as theological hogwash. And what is true in Savannah, Georgia, is just as true in New York City, and just as true anywhere else that Christians gather this day. We do not always recognize what the Spirit is doing, but that doesn't mean the Spirit is missing in action. Thanks be to God that Spirit does not depend on our understanding and that Spirit does not wait for our approval and votes and minutes. And sometimes that comforts us and reassures us and sometimes that absolutely terrifies us and it should. Back to the birds for a moment. Debbie Blue continues, the dove has come to seem bland and cutesy as far as Christian symbols go. Isn't it sort of limiting to imagine the Spirit of God as something dainty and white? Genesis tells us we are made of dirt, we are full of bacteria, and if we wanted to, we could knock a dove silly with one or two blows from the back of our hands. Sometimes, she says, we need a spirit that can handle us. A spirit that refuses to take prisoners, a spirit that descends like a pigeon. We need that kind of spirit because if Pentecost means that the church extends beyond the confines of history, if the church extends beyond what we know to be true, it means the church is beyond us. Because if the Medes and the Parthians and everyone else really were included on that day, if divisions of time are rendered irrelevant, it seems pretty safe to say that any other division is rendered irrelevant too. Basically, Pentecost reminds us that whoever we struggle to embrace as part of the church, we're not actually the church until we welcome them in. Now some of us find it easy to welcome the poor and the outcast, but struggle to accept the wealthy and the well-off. Some of us find it easy to welcome those who think just like we do, but struggle to accept those of different political or theological perspective. Some of us find it easy to recognize the church the way we've always known it, but struggle to recognize the church when it looks a little different. And the truth of it is, all of us fit into every one of these categories at one point or another. Because just as sure as there were lepers in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost, there were Roman soldiers too. 
And just as sure as there were sinners there, so too were there Sadducees. And just as sure as you are welcome into the church, so too is absolutely everyone who causes you to inwardly cringe and think, really, I have to love them? We are unlikely to find the strength for such a thing all on our own. It is the work of the Spirit that opens our minds and our hearts. And sometimes that comforts us and reassures us, and sometimes that absolutely terrifies us, and it should. For as long as I have been in ministry, people have said this is a particularly hard time to be the church. They say the world is changing faster than we can keep up, and that what we could count on yesterday is no longer true today, which makes it really difficult to plan for tomorrow. They're right. But that has been the story of the church since the very beginning. That is not a story unique to the church in the 21st century or the church in New York City. Pentecost descended on Jerusalem like a crazed pigeon, and while there were all sorts of miracles taking place, at the end of it all, the text tells us everyone looked at each other and said, what on earth does this mean? Or in other words, what do we do now? We are ordaining and installing officers today. So maybe it sounds like sacrilege on this day, especially to say that for as long as the church has been in existence, the real truth is that we don't really know what we're doing. Not in any grand or cosmic sort of way. It's either sacrilege to think this, where it's the very stuff of holiness itself. Because what we do not know, the Spirit does. Elders and deacons, you have agreed to serve the church as we continue encountering the great unknown. In members of this church, you have found meaning or a home or a sense of belonging in a place that tries every day to ask the question, what does this mean? And then to listen carefully for the response. Maybe it is a hard time to be the church. Maybe it has always been a hard time to be the church because to be the church is to trust our faith over the facts. It is to trust the spirit over statistics. It is to trust the unknown over tradition. And it is to recognize that the church will not be the church until everyone, of every time and every place, of every opinion and perspective, of every social distinction and location, we will not be the church until everyone has a place around this table and has a place in the kingdom of God. There is nothing easy about Pentecost. And there is really nothing easy about being the church. Which is why I give thanks. I truly give thanks that sometimes 
The spirit comes to us like a dive-bombing pigeon. Because sometimes God knows that is the only way to get through to us. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.